All right, guys, what is up? We're back for another installment of the Playing to Win series, uh, podcasting with Ed Lattimore today, a retired heavyweight boxer. What's going on, brother? It's a good time, man. Just enjoying life and getting a chance to catch up with you again. Yeah, it's been a minute. So we were uh, we were chopping it up uh, before we went live. And um, just a heads up for you guys watching, Ed might be uh, fielding a call, which might require him just to kill his camera and his audio uh during the podcast and here at my end we're in the middle of a weird weather uh phenomenon here it's really warm in in toronto today it's 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 like in the 40s or 50s as far as fahrenheit goes and we've got heavy heavy winds so sometimes the power cuts so we'll see we'll see how this rolls so let's uh let's hop into it um for those people that don't know who you are because i mean if you if you search on youtube uh ed latimer heavyweight boxer there's some fights there um can you tell people, you know, who you are and talk a little bit about like your Batman origin story? Because, I mean, you came from <laughs> some like pretty dark places and, I, and I've seen you on uh, Twitter and social media talking for years now about crackheads and all this sort of stuff. And um, like I want people to get some frame around who you are kind of kind of on this like zero to hero story. For yeah. You. So I'm, I'm not just some random guy you brought on the on the show. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So so I am most known for I guess these days kind of what I do on social media and the writing and grow my blog and all that but in, in the life prior to that I was a, a heavyweight boxer and boxing really shaped my life and and just just all positives I mean it's it's a really painful process and and a lot of people don't make it through certainly not as long as I did but I used use boxing when my life was really not doing anything or going anywhere I, I stepped in the ring at a late age uh how old were you I, when you stepped in i was 22 when i stepped stepped in oh okay when I first so, started, started so that was like your first fight or was that like your first time picking up the gloves and for all training? everything my first fight um if i remember correctly was the amateur uh not amateur because it's all amateur but did the novice class for the Golden Glove, the state Golden Glove tournament. And they have three classes in amateur boxing, novice, sub-novice, and open. Novice is zero to three fights. Sub-novice is, is four to 11. And anything, uh, or rather novice is four to 11. Uh, sub-novice is zero to three. And then open class is, is like 11 plus. So I stepped in, did that, and it was like in January, and I remember, or it was like February, January, but I, I remember thinking that my birthday might make a difference in how I filled out uh, my past book for USA Boxing, the the keepers of all things amateur boxing. So that is the the thing that, that a lot of people got kind of like first got exposed to me as is, is me talking about my fighting when I first got on social media. And I was also in school at the same time because there's this whole great big old you know, arc that I'm sure we'll cover. Where I was like, yo, I'm not doing anything with my life. Let me get it together. Or I went back to school and I enlisted in the military. So a lot of people knew me and found out about, you know, my, my background and things like that, because I was just talking about, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm doing and my insights from, from fighting, from being in school for physics, from being in the military, all that. And then prior to all of that, in my whole childhood, the other part that's really contributed to my story and perspective is, is I am a I am a stereotype man like I grew up in, in public housing mother owner of welfare uh, not I, like I knew who my dad was but my mom was definitely a single mom uh, and in that environment really learning how to survive in that environment 
gave me a lot of, you know, to this day, some good habits, some bad ones I had to work through, but it's like, like everything, you know, but I, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that. It's weird, man. I look back and it's miserable, but I, I, I don't think considering how I am now and the way I think and see the world, I, I don't think I traded for anything. So to, to sum all that up, I'm a kid from the projects who started boxing one day decided boxing wouldn't be enough. And would leave me eventually. So I went back to school, got a degree in physics and learned how to write and communicate. And now that's how I make my living on social media. And um, like what appealed to you about fighting? Did you did you get in a lot of like uh, fights when you were a kid? You're or? not going to believe this, man. I, I am a like natural diplomat. Like, yeah, you're like very every, chill, calm. Like you don't strike me as somebody that would lose his cool. Everybody who comes through um not everybody or everyone who well yeah everyone who grows up in that environment uh, you typically learn to cope uh in a few ways some guys you know turn them straight you know they they, they become like the environment and they try and raise to the top of that social hierarchy mm-hmm. that never interested me because uh one that just well, first i was an ugly kid man so i got made fun of a lot so i never wanted to like <laughs> like I, I never wanted to be part of the young crowd yeah um and and the in crowd where I was at was not a desirable crowd to begin with, and and I just had some good sense about that, and I had a, a mom that you know she she did her best and really highlighted how ridiculous that life would be, and and so my my natural personality was went the other way. I learned I, I was really actually reclusive as a kid, man. Like I like I, I was I'm naturally sociable and outgoing, but I spent a lot of time playing video games. Um, a lot of time when I when I did, you know, you get in the middle school uh, and, and I, there's a sharp transition in my life from middle school to high school because I went to a high school in a completely different socioeconomic background. I had to cross town. But but coming up, man, I, I learned how to just make friends and laugh. So I didn't I fought a lot as a kid out of necessity, but I didn't pick pick fights. What appealed to me about boxing, uh, the, the real story period, man, I, I had already dropped out of college the first time i tried to go man because the issues with drinking and my grades was trash whatever and i went on this tirade about like how stupid college is and i still think college is stupid the difference is like now i got a degree you can't say shit to me and then not just slouch one but i will go on this tirade anybody to listen and one of the people that happened to listen to me a lot was the mother of the girl i was dating at the time who happens to be a professor at the university of pittsburgh so one day she said to me, she goes, all right, let's pretend you're right. Let's pretend uh, college is, is a waste of time. What have you done for the past four years besides, like, show up and eat my food? And I was like, burn. And then she threw me out, right? And, I, you know, I cried a little man tear, but I thought about it. And I was like, yeah, I really I haven't done anything. There's nothing really to, like, like if I died tomorrow, you know, all, all people would know is like, man, he was a good drinker. Like that, that, that would be it. So, so I looked at options to improve and I knew going back to school was not an option at that point for multiple reasons, not just my, my disdain for it, but financially. So I looked at the military and I looked at, at doing a, doing a sport. And this was right back when they were, you know, going into Iraq, like heavy. And I said, uh, I'm going to pass on that one for now. And so I, I found a gym and and just I had a mentality about it. I said, you know, I'm going to go in here and I'm not going to quit. I'm going to get injured or somebody who really knows the game is going to be like, dude, this is this ain't your thing. Like, you got to go do something else. 
And I had a few early successes and combined with the attitude, I just stuck, 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 stuck. And it was that, and then it became a point where I had so much time invested that it to, to give it up would have been foolish. Got it. Um, why did you hate school? Like, what was it about that? Oh, man. <laughs> why do... do you know so, who uh, Suli Breaks is? Huh? Suli Breaks. Who's Suli Briggs? He's this African guy that, that grew up in the UK, and he's a spoken word artist. He wrote this um, uh, you know, poem, essentially, and it's something along the lines of don't let school get in the way of your education. You can find it if you search for it on uh, YouTube. It's got like tens of millions of views. I can believe it. My, my greatest issue, for real, man, uh, at that time is, so I'm not even going to focus on the external. I'm going to talk about the meat. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, I because there are flaws in the system, but I don't think it's productive to talk about those flaws because eventually I went through them. Uh, but what kept me initially from going through them is uh, first for starters, I was way less emotionally mature than I thought I was. Like, you know, how like they say when you're 18, you think you know everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like that kid and you get to another place and you don't know shit. And 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 it doesn't really like it's not like anything one bad thing happens to let you realize or to make you realize how little you know you can't or I couldn't survive I just couldn't keep myself on the schedule I got distracted super easy man like I you know like like most teenage dudes man I was like chasing the girls I got exposed to the booze I was chasing the booze and the girls that's it that became my life to the point where I was like oh this is just a great party. Um, why even focus on on the education? And that was the other thing too. Like I, I couldn't see how, like my brain couldn't make a connection between this environment and the real world. I, I understood that early. I didn't know how to verbalize it the way I just did, but I could not see how this was relevant to anything that would help me. I just knew that's what people were telling me I got to do. And everybody I looked at who had a life better than mine, and then that was pretty much everybody, man. We we came from. I looked this up one time uh, to be sure about it. We were making, or my mom was making, for a lot of times growing up, man, between like three and four thousand dollars a year on public assistance because because the rent was subsidized. So every so so middle class looked like rich to me, and all I knew was that everybody who got there. They, they had a degree to get their job, but it didn't seem like they needed the degree to do their job. So I just figured, okay, uh, I'll eventually stumble into something. And, and I just felt like, and then I was, I was isolated because I played football for the little school I was at. And, and uh, I, that, I didn't realize how much I missed home, like how attached I was to my friends and all that. So between, between not having really the discipline and focus to do school, being emotionally estranged and then mentally i didn't have a lot of faith in myself to do the to do the hard work either uh so so i think i wanted a bit of a sour grapes syndrome with it and i was like ah you know this is terrible because i can't do it because because i'm sure like if i was like some whiz kid mm-hmm. i'd have a different uh perspective on it or at the very least i would have finished it the first time and been like let's go and you know i did the, the and on top of that man the, the debt like it took I me mean, not I, I'm, I'm finally like free of debt, but I don't know how it works up, up in Canada but down here. Like, like I went the first time, took out some money. I still was on the hook for that money. Like you can't discharge it. So even yeah, when I went thing. back, 
the military, you know, covered me when I went back and finished in my, my uh, late 20s, early 30s. But I was still on the hook for that first bit, you know, and then that that left a sour taste in my mouth. Then it leaves a sour taste in my mouth now because, I mean, what, part of me is like, yeah, I wasted it because I was up there not doing my thing. But at the same time, man, that, that shit is expensive. Mm. Uh, um, you, you've got your sobriety date in your social media bio somewhere i think i saw it so um i know what that's like one like, week what I, man like <laughs> one of my um old um roommates was uh you know he was in a booze and crack and weed and all that stuff and you know you you know you would have thought by the stories that he told that you know he would have been this like you know skinny rail you know like a pinky finger sort of thing but he was like this fat he, he was like half italian half french big ass bad hair dude like an afro practically it was just like everywhere total mess and and he used to uh used to talk about like his you know his days back in the day where all the crazy stuff that he would would do to try to get his hands on stuff like crack or weed or alcohol and he went sober and was like we used to poke fun at him, right? You know, because back in our times, we'd be like, you know, a buddy of mine would be rolling a joint and be like, hey, hey, come on, buddy. You know, you want some of this? <laughs> you know, he would never budge, right? Like, he was always firm on it, which was good for him because he, because he said he would go to a dark place when he played with the stuff. Um, were you into crack? Was it was it crack? Was it booze? Like, like nah, what was it know, where you grew so, up? So, yeah, man, the um, the crack stuff is just jokes, man. That's, that's you know, how I cope with a lot of the stuff I've seen. Yeah, because you often say that crackheads are like the hardest working guys out there, right? For sure, you know, and, Explain that. you know, where I came from, I, I, I remember one day, I, I can't remember where he was going, but somewhere my mom know, I know that, because my mom is the one that said it to me, and and we, we come out, we're walking to the bus stop, and this, this junkie comes like scattering across the court, uh, from one end to the other, just running, working, and my mom just looked at him and shook her head and was like, man, that fucking junkie, man, or she called him a crackhead, thing. like, he been up for like four days, man. Just chasing a rock, and it, that that always just stuck with me, mm-hmm. like like four days, god damn. And then on top of that, I, I had seen like stuff that I probably should not have seen. You know, we used to be babysat uh, by some straight up like addicts, man. They was they was shooting up when we were around and smoking when we were around. In fact, one of my earliest memories, I thought. Uh, I, we were over at the house being babysat when my mom was coming back from wherever she was coming back from. And we I picked up what I thought was a squirt gun and I squirted on the couch. It wasn't until I was later that I, that I was like, oh, that was heroin. And that's why it was such a big... I was like, why is she so angry about just water? Like, just the water is going dry. And I was like, oh, that's because it was it was the dope. And, and It was heroin in a syringe? Yeah. And, and oh, you know... smokes, man. Like, why is this out around kids, first of all? Um, and secondly, you know, you just, you just get used to seeing that kind of stuff. And, and so I learned to just joke about it, man. Yeah. Cause otherwise you get, you know, but what's the old saying, man, you can laugh a little or cry a lot. I chose the laugh route entirely. And now it's just become like a thing that's still funny to me because people, because, because now, now it's funny because so many people follow me yeah. and, and a lot of times the way the social media algorithms work they won't see all of my posts. They'll, they'll see, you know, some self improvement, some motivation, whatever, and then they'll see me talking shit about crackheads. I'm like, what is this guy all like? And it, that's why that's funny to me. Right? Yeah. But as far as what my personal issues were, I was I was the booze man, and and that was my thing. And you know, when you talk about doing whatever you can to get it, 
it, it took me a while to come to terms with that particular part because because for me it was just recognizing what got me sober was recognizing okay this is really getting in the way. it has gotten in the way of every aspect of my life and I was just on a precipice of some some really good things happening and I said let me put it down let me see how far I can go and like like when I stopped drinking my intention was to only do it for like two years. Mm -hmm. And then after a year, I was like, wow, man, I'm not only do I have a lot of like, like I made it far and have done a lot and I feel great, but I got a lot of issues. And one of the issues that I realized, man, yeah, I had I have really started like structuring my whole life, my friends, my social life, even my, my training at the gym. I structured it around drinking. It wasn't until my coach pointed out that I was showing up to the gym smelling like booze that I was like, OK, that's a problem. Wasn't until people were like got around. I was like, oh, he just came over for the holiday. I had a few friends say this, and because I was doing it, just going over for going. They'd invite me over because because I never spent holidays with my family even when I was younger. Uh, now because I just I, I never wanted to be around them, but I go, I drink, and then once the booze was up, or I felt like I wouldn't be able to drive, whatever, I took off. Uh, pretty much, you know going out every night of the week even knowing you know overdrawing my bank account to drink that's that's a bad sign mm -hmm. so there were a lot of bad things going were you on drinking every day of the week like drunk every um day of the week, or? i wasn't well well yeah yeah you know what when i lived in when i could afford it i did yeah mm -hmm. especially because because uh part of part of the uh the boxing arc is that for the last two years of my amateur career i actually spent it out in Los Angeles under this uh, this banner they were trying to build where they were taking former Division One athletes and turning them into uh, boxers. I was not a former Division One athlete by a long shot, but I beat their guy that they had put a lot of money into at the National Golden Gloves. He actually went on to represent us in the Olympics and, and fought for the world title twice, Dominic Brazil. So I, so I beat him and they sent me out there and I when they when they, and they brought me out and I, mm -hmm. I couldn't pass up the opportunity I was broke as hell at home mm -hmm. and they were they were talking about paying me three grand a month to train plus rent I said sold and they flew me out now I got out there and I have a driver's license and I don't know if you've ever been in L A you can't live in that city and have a social life without a car I mean the, the public transport is just not designed plus it's it's built out wide as opposed to dense. You know, it's mm. like four times the area of New York with a fourth of the population. Still mm. a big city, but it's it's you need need transportation. So I spent a lot of time alone and bored. And and here's what's crazy. Back here in PA, I live in one of two states, PA and Utah, where the the um, the liquor is still controlled by the state. So so you gotta go to state we call them state stores growing up. Right. Chris Rock made a joke. I think it was Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle, man. I don't want to be, you know, all black people look the same and shit. But uh, he made a joke about, you know, you got to prepare yourself when you go to the projects. You just look out the window and see liquor store, gun store, gun store, liquor store. I didn't get that joke because I grew up in PA when I first heard it. When I got out to Cali and I could go right over to the Target across the street and pick up a bottle uh, of some Jack or something. I was like, what? This is crazy. So that's what I did. Every day after practice, I go get a box of wine. Uh, well, I'd always have a box of wine on tap, but then I go get something to supplement it. Like sometimes it'd be a 40, sometimes it'd be a case, sometimes it'd just be a bottle, a bottle mm -hmm. of Jack or a Bombay. Yeah, I was a big fan of Bombay Sapphire Gin, loved uh, Dirty Martini. And, and so I got to a point, man, where I was drinking every day when I could afford it. When I couldn't afford it, 
I just drank cheaper shit every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like it got to the point, man. I remember, come on, you know, you ever, everybody's got those signs, man. I started waking up with beer on my chest because I would fall asleep on my back with a can. And I would have it. That's when I would have a rest. I'd take a sip, fall asleep, have a sit there on my chest. And then, you know, you wake up and roll over. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. But um, I, I, I had a job at uh, T-Mobile in, for a little while. And one of the things I used to do in the break, I go across the street to the bar and drink all before my shift. Always. I mean, whenever whenever I could afford to drink, that that's what it was about, man. And, and when there was unlimited alcohol, like at a house function, that was the worst, man. Mm. Uh, you know, I always find the, the topic of like drinking booze a fascinating one, right? It's like, you know, the way that you describe it, it sounds a lot like you were like an just like a bad drunk, right? Like you couldn't stop, like you didn't have any self-control. That yeah, that, that's that, that's the best way to put it. Because because I could, oh man, see, see it's hard. Because I think about some shit I did. I I I never had that like, oh man, I gotta go drink. Like that never happened, right? Mm-hmm. But the minute the the pot was topped, you know, the top was popped, man. It was a, uh, it was it, man. You couldn't stop. That that was me, and I had the worst, not the worst personality, but but I used to say dumb shit like. Uh, you gotta get blackout drunk like once a week. Make sure your mindset is still on point because you, mm-hmm. you know your drunk mind's gonna tell you the truth. Which, which now I think is this. when I hear people say that, I'm like, you understand that's putting you under the influence. It's like a poison in your brain. I'm not saying I, I'm not anti-alcohol. I'm anti-alcohol for me, right? But I'm around you know people who, who drink all the time. I got no issue with it, especially if you're in control. You know, enjoy your life. But but I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't. I definitely couldn't control it. How, like. What do you think is is or was different about you when you came across alcohol versus um, let's take somebody like um, you know the Tate brothers? I'm sure that you're familiar with them. I was talking to Tristan, yeah. you know, two four weeks ago or something like that. And one of the things we were chatting about, you know, you know, towards the end, I asked him like, how do you manage to stay in fighting shape and compete and like run the business and do everything that you do? Because a lot of the times, like you often see them on social media, you know, drinking. And um, they're still competent, right? Like they're still yeah. able to perform. Like, what? Like what? What distinguishes guys that have no self self control versus the ones that are still able to produce and slam back, you know, booze on a regular basis? You, you know, after, after meeting those guys in person, you know, I, I had I had a theory, and then I, I met them in person, um, and, and I can tell you the biggest difference: they have their shit together, mm-hmm. right? So one would not even notice if they did have an issue, right? Because everything's on point. They got the systems over, and and that, and they care so much. I, th- I think for me, I just just thinking about where I was when I was drinking like that compared to how I feel now, um, and then we'll, we'll contrast both me's to current Tates, right? Mm. Uh, I I did not really feel like. I ain't feel like anyone cared. Like, like I, I just felt like I was a um, just just kind of a leaf in the wind, and and I was you know fighting, really living for me, wasn't not really making much, not really doing much, no kind of role model, nothing like that. Like, like the, pretty much like 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 if I if I vanished, right? I really used to feel that. I still kind of have that issue, but these mm-hmm. are the issues you got to confront and deal with. That if I vanished, no one would notice or care, right? Yeah. I don't think those guys. Ego could ever be that small to think that. And I say that positively. I don't mean that negatively. I mean, they, they have a really healthy sense 
of, of their importance. So they can they can go out, slam hard, and get back up and go at it. And on top of that, man, the, the fighters, man, like like because I drank like that when I fought, not as a pro, mm-hmm. but but at the higher end of my amateur career where I, where I was fighting like every other week. Um, one crazy thing about fighters, you see this a lot, man. We we no sane person gets into fighting because there's no money, and and it's just a miserable life. I used to say in the next life, by my alpha career, I'm gonna be a rock star because this shit sucks, right? <laughs> Uh, cause you don't really get to party. You don't really get to do anything if you want to be good. But, uh, I mean, that's when you're training, but when you're not crazy off the other end, you go to the extreme, the other end and that, that balance for a while until you can't separate it. And I think the people that can do a good job, they, they just, they have a really strong life that allows the, they gives them purpose outside of it. When I was drinking, that was one of my, that was my purpose. I was like, I'm the dude fights and parties and drinks hard and that, that was really my identity mm-hmm. and that was a hard thing for me to to was it was it yeah it was challenging for me to give up and then switch to the identity i have now where i get my respect now i always say being liked looks a lot like respect to people who ain't used to getting either and that comes from my experience man because i thought Everybody wanted to be around me was cool. And it was, they wanted to be around me when I was drinking. And I spent most of my time drinking. I was the guy to go party. Mm. But when it came time to serious shit, like I started to notice nobody was inviting me to like serious family functions, right? Or, or somebody's real birthday where they wanted everything to be cool. These are close friends I've known for years. And it wasn't until I got sober again that they told me, yeah, that's one of the reasons why. It's a big reason why. Not the only reason for real. Yeah. What What's the most that you ever got paid to fight? Because you mentioned that getting <laughs> getting paid wasn't wasn't really part of the reason why you fought and i've also Ooh. heard that from the tates as well that they didn't get paid that much you know for fights so and he fought for belts man which is yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. I, I never and it seems like there's a big belt. spectrum like like 99 of fighters don't don't really get paid well but then there's that like top like one or two or three guys in their space that just that that just collect all of the money that carl, yeah you, you know who carl frotch is no he's um he was a middleweight champ out of, out of the UK. Smart guy, too, because a mm-hmm. smart guy will go do this. Carl Frotch, like, I think he wrote, a, he wrote a book or he wrote a series of articles, either way, uh, where he talks about uh, in his research, you take all the guys that fought. And he said 97% of them will have to get another job within a year of fighting. There's just not them. That much money, and most of us, I he didn't he didn't write about this, but most fighters I know, until you get get somebody looking at you seriously, and there's and, and they have all the choice, you know, and that's not most fighters. We all got jobs, man. I had a job. See, I had a job for my first when I start working. My first five fights, I had a job. Mm-hmm. I didn't get signed to my sixth fight, but but I didn't know what was going on, but but I joined the military and, and I had mm-hmm. uh my GI bill coming in and stuff like that. But you don't make a lot of money. The most I got paid for my for my wonderful or terrible performance on Showtime, they paid me uh we're way past that now, so I gotta talk about it. They paid me eighty five hundred dollars. Eighty five hundred dollars. Yeah, and wow. and uh, of that eighty five hundred, twenty five percent has gone off rip to my manager and coach. Mm-hmm. And then I gotta still pay Uncle Sam, right, right, right. So I'm, I'm, I walked away. In fact, you know, this is this is the cool part of the story, and I think a lot of people um, 
missed this part, but this was really the, one of the most formidable times of my life. Formidable and formidable. When I lost that fight, September 23rd, 2016 is when I lost. By Who's that too? That was the Trey Lippe Morrison, the son of um Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that's the one that I saw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know what's crazy, man? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. It loops around. You went down just... twice on that one. Pretty. Yeah, pretty man. You know, you, you want to hear something funny about that? Um, yeah. When, when you, I don't know if you've ever been like hit that hard or knocked out or anything like that. When you do, I, I, I didn't feel anything. I thought I slipped. I was like, because, because it was, it was such a good, clean shot that he got me with over my jab. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see it coming. What's the punch that does the most damage? And I thought I slipped. I was like, oh, that's crazy, man. I slipped. What the hell? And then I got up again. I was like, I'm slipping again. Whoops. Uh, but then I looked at it again. I was like, no, nah, man, you got fucked up. That's what happened. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, you know it, it took me a while. I was like, you know what? You know what losing a fight like that is like? It's like it's like when you break up with a girl. Yeah. I um I could not watch that thing for a while. And I knew I couldn't train again until I could watch that. Was so that the last fight? Or? That was, no, I had one more fight after that. Yeah, that I fought okay. to a draw. Okay. Uh, but... Uh, when I when I looked at that fight, you know, I was like, okay, cool, I got hurt. Now I'm I'm good. I can say I got knocked out. I got stopped. Let's go train and get back after it. Mm-hmm. But that that fight, man. Um, but, but to put it in perspective, though, eighty five hundred, twenty five percent gone. Then I got to put some aside for taxes. Then I got my bills and rent and any money I borrowed when I was running through you know training camp. I I had a job by November first. Because I remember what I was doing the month of November. So I had a job by November 1st, man, and I was delivering shit for Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, let, me, let me tell you something. Nothing humbles you like going up and then down. It's one thing to be up always. You know, with the lights go, and the cameras and everybody screaming. Yeah, it's one thing to go from next being Next day, down you're dropping boxes up. off, eh? Oh, man, it was the worst. Because I, I worked two weeks in the factory, in the sorting factory, yeah. and then two weeks delivering. And I quit that job. Um, one morning, I was out doing the deliveries. It was like 6 a.m., thank goodness. And the car, uh, the, the van shut down when I had it parked on a hill and, and blew out and it just rolled backwards down a hill into somebody's garage. Thank God nobody was out because it was a residential area and nothing like that. So everybody was safe. No one got hurt. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. Like, like By good, I mean like not bad. But here's what made me quit. Whenever there's, whenever you're involved in like a vehicular issue at a job where you drive, they're supposed to make sure you aren't drinking nothing crazy like that. They sent out another van, not to make sure. I mean, they made sure I was all right, but I had to put all the packages in the next van, and we finished up that route. They was concerned about that profit. Nah, I don't want to badmouth Amazon because this was not. Uh, Amazon, this was a company Amazon subtracted that eventually went to or subcontracted eventually uh, went out of that went bankrupt mm-hmm. and everything. But I said, I'm gonna figure this out, man. Like, this is not this can't be my future. Like, I'm and but now by that point, I had more, a lot more options because I had like I had like a hundred credits left in my degree or done in my degree and like had a bunch of experience in the army now. And I tried to get some jobs, but nobody would hire me. Um, for the amount of time that I could work because I wanted to finish out my schooling and pay me enough. And it was because of that that I ended up tutoring, which which changed my life. Uh cause cause that was a real was a real humbling thing, man. I got a chance to like connect and work with kids and, and watch them go from being like really bad at math, which I was coming up mm-hmm. to getting them sharp. Mm-hmm. Um 
I'm always curious about people's childhood and you were talking about being raised primarily by a single mom. You said that you knew your dad. Like, did he, did you get to see him that often or was it like almost always your mom? Ah, man. So I think about this a lot. Um, and, and my dad probably, so my dad actually lived in Philadelphia. So I'm not only that I did my, and this is, this is, you know, to people who don't, um, know it is reverence we're gonna clarify everyone thinks we're from philadelphia oddly enough right even we hop on a call today and rich was like hey man philly like pittsburgh but one of my best friends uh cam cam awesome another boxer i was like looking at his phone one day uh or, or not his phone his computer his mac and i guess max link up with iphones whatever and i said oh who's at philly he was like oh that's you man you don't recognize your number like i'm not from philly he's one of my best friends man <laughs> like been to my crib and i'm at, so so um how did I get? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well my father. So, so I'm, I'm real familiar with Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and and I'm my, my girl's um, my girl's sister lives over there, so we go a lot. Mm-hmm. But he lived in Philadelphia, and and he would come on drive. He come and see us two times a year, maybe three, mm-hmm. for about. He never stayed for more than a week. And he never stayed with us when he came. He, it was it always felt like he was coming to visit friends he had in the area, and his kids were also here and he'd see them. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't have memories of my father as a disciplinarian or a guided source at all. I I have like like I know he was around and he took us places because that's what dads do. Mm-hmm. But like. In turn, but but a, but a constant force around somebody. My the, the the teachers would talk to somebody. I had a problem, and I go to. Nah, he wasn't that character. So right. so how did that shape you growing up? Because I mean, like the 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 thing that I notice that happens more often, not at least when guys are coming to me. And I mean, I often deal with some guys that are like weapons right now. Like they make seven, eight figures. They run multiple businesses. And then they're like, yeah, but my childhood was fucked. You know, I didn't see my dad or my dad was hit by lightning when I was young or I was raised by a single mom sort of thing like that. And they managed to figure it out at some point. But for the most part, these guys tend to end up being like nice guys. You know, they're mostly beta. You know, they're, uh, you know, they do the whole, you know, be a shoulder to cry on. You know, they try to friend zone their way into a girl's heart sort of thing. Is that stuff that you experienced yourself or <laughs> was that something that, you know that you had to reconcile to overcome so i don't i don't remember who who said it i know it was somebody with a voice either in like manosphere version now or or before or somewhere but somebody said something to the effect of when you if you grow up and you see women at their worst it becomes very difficult for you to pedestalize them and 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 be that guy and i don't i i don't know what the experience of these other guys were how nice and loving and kind their mothers were i i suspect they were good solid people because my mom was not that person i remind me i got a lot i really value my mom uh i, th- I think you know the, i'm gonna miss her when she's gone but we have a good dialogue now, but that is because when I was from 18 to 23, I didn't talk to her and, and I finally discovered forgiveness and that plays a really big role in my life because forgiveness made everyone's life better. 
not just for my mom to be able to talk our child, but for me to, to not carry that poison or place that blame on somebody else from my adulthood. Mm. When I was 11, this was the formative moment. There were tons of moments beforehand, but this was the formative moment. I watched my mom get arrested, and she didn't have to get arrested. She got super drunk. Uh, is you not as usual, but but it was a fairly regular occurrence, and she got into a fight with this woman, and she went out in the street and fought her. I remember holding her back from the door, trying to hold her back. My mom's a big, big woman, man. Like, and and I'm 11 years old, so it ain't work. So she went out there, fought, got arrested, got booked for the night. Uh, so went to jail. I mean, my sister, you know, living by, stay by. So our mom's dealing with this. So my dad's in Philly. He don't know shit about this. Uh. And and at that point, I was like, I'm gonna have to figure. I'm gonna have to figure this thing out by myself. And and it was it became very hard for me after that point to look at to look at girls as something better than me. You know. So so I, I never walked around with, with with those nice guy tendencies. I think like I know what you're talking about. I see them. I never had them because that shit never served me. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, it, it it definitely didn't serve me. Not only did it not serve me, but the one influence in my life, the main female influence in my life, uh, I, I developed a a weird kind of disdain for for a while. And you know where that manifests because because we, we no one makes it out of childhood unscathed, man. We all come out with our issues. I went the other way, and and that has its slew of problems. It's funny, me and my fiance joke about this all the time, that I was like a stray dog. Like, like you know, you bring a stray dog in and the old owners used to beat it and shit and feed it. Mm-hmm. And, and every time you try and be nice and pet the dog, the dog snarls at you. I was kind of like that. Now I'm, I'm way more domesticated. And that's a good thing because she's a very good woman and very patient uh, in in me figuring out a lot of, a lot of things. But but that other end is not, you know, that's the problem I would imagine. I, and I don't know if you see this because I, I never coach guys uh, in this regard. But I've always felt like when you grow up being real nice and you finally get your backbone, it's real easy to go the other way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my issue, I'm I, I'm naturally still because I kind of like to be violent and I recognize the power of that violence. So I, I will always avoid violence. And plus, I try to think about the overall, how the dynamic, if if we we pop off into a conflict and it ain't even got to be physical, like even on the Internet, you see how I am with people and, and, and the guys we've worked with, some of the, uh, the spaces we've intersected. I wouldn't say I'm on the best terms, but I, I'm, I don't think I'm on bad terms with anybody because I recognize there's there's a price to pay for that. But in that has not always been the case, and I've had to really work to temper that to be a to be even. You know, wherever you come from, you gotta you gotta balance it out. My issue was being very self-centered and not thinking about the things going on around me. Because if 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 I thought about things going on around me very often, at least until I got to high school, uh, you get take advantage, taken advantage of or manipulated. And so I developed a way to live out different than that. Mm-hmm. To this day, emotional manipulation. Now she's figured out how to do it because she's smart. She's a good woman. But to this day, uh, I am I am like hypersensitive to anything that that, that smells of emotional manipulation, mm-hmm. and, and and probably react disproportionately uh, to it than I need to. But that that's. Oh, yeah. uh, 
that that's that's where that that you know kind of comes from and and or rather yeah. how i responded to not having um father because because of my mom my mom's influence was she was a parent sure but like there's a lot of things that, that she got got very wrong i think but, but part of being an adult is you don't blame that shit yeah. you, I, it, like like how sad would it be if i'd be sitting here you know in prison or something and i'm blaming blaming what happened to me 18 20 years ago I don't want to downplay the role of your your you being you know how you were raised, but at some point, being an adult by definition, you got to take responsibility, and I think I've done that. You know what? Speaking of responsibility, I mean, like we live in a world today where it seems to be there's a lot there's like a lack of accountability and there's a lack of responsibility with a lot of people, and it's not just you know certain demographics. It's, it's men, women, it's everything. Like I see it everywhere, right? And it's. One of the things that I would point to, like if somebody said to me, like, you know, why do you think things are so upside down today? That part of it is there's a total lack of accountability and responsibility with a lot of people. Um, what's your opinion on that? Man, Thomas Sowell has this great quote where he goes, the first rule of economics is, is scarcity. There's not enough uh, to go around for everyone. The, the first rule of politics is to make people forget the first rule of economics. And we we live in this incredibly abundant time period. Like like sometimes I like to sit back and then like I feel in awe. Like I feel kind of weird because I look and I go, I feel like I was plucked from like the 1900s and I'm looking at metal tubes zooming through the air with people and global synchronous communication and this little device. And the fact that we're having this conversation like we're room to room, right? And the medicine that's around like like we live in the future i mean for all intents and purposes we've conquered the physical world i mean yeah fucking virus can take us out something we're, we're very close to beating asteroids if they not if they come to the, the planet and and despite what they tell you it's not really enough nuclear material on the planet to do something crazy the way it is used i mean you can still do some damage but it won't wipe out society why do i say all this it's so easy it's so easy to survive that that we don't have anything to push against. And I really think a person is developed by pushing against hardship. And it teaches you scarcity. It teaches you decision-making. It teaches you priority. And you, if you never had to prioritize because everything is at your fingertips and your life is not hard, when you do face little hardship, you'll break down. So you try to avoid that. Dr. Jonathan Haidt writes about this. I think the book is called Coddling of the American Mind or something to that effect. Where he talks about uh, how the like three main markers for development are being pushed, or have been pushed further and further out, and the three he he uh, focused on in the lecture I watched is he goes the average age of a kid getting a driver's license now is eighteen. It used to be sixteen. That used to be like the thing. The uh, average age of their first alcoholic drink. He wasn't you know supporting our or um, castigizing it either way. He was just saying the the average age has gone up. Kids are not drinking in high school. And the average age of the first, like, date is, like, like 19 if they ever had one, right? Mm -hmm. and, and his point with bringing that up was that these are, these are risky situations. You have to go into kind of by definition where there's a positive or a negative outcome. You're not really quite sure, but you have to navigate it. And we don't take risk anymore because, you know, things have been mitigated. You don't have to. I think about how I met my best friends in high school. 
we were talking shit about who was better on Marvel versus Capcom, the old video game. So we went to the arcade and settled it. And that was back when arcade was a social event. You had to get together with rules you had to follow. If you got beat on, you had to like deal with being taunted and still come back and earn your respect. Like, like it wasn't fighting, but it was an environment that wasn't safe in the sense of like you're gonna walk away feeling good. All right. Mm-hmm. Same with girls. We used to have to go walk and talk to girls, ask out, ask them out, get their number, be rejected or accepted. And they had to navigate that too. Now it's just swipe or slide in the DMs. Okay. This whole thing, the why why there's no accountability is because there's no exposure to negative. So by the time we get to the point where you have to be in control of something, you go, No, I just want it all. And you never had to encounter not having it all, not getting what you want. And I don't mean not getting what you want, like like everyone is is uh is is paid, laid, and ripped, right? I mean, not getting what you want isn't you you never had to experience the pain of not succeeding because there was always a distraction. Even now, I think one of the worst things about porn is is a guy doesn't doesn't get that feeling of the real legit blue balls. Like, yo, I gotta figure this out. I gotta get better. I gotta get ripped. No, nah, I'll just disappear. <laughs> I'll just disappear into the digital world where there's where there's tons of variety. There's nothing to force people to interact with the real world and the rest to come with that and learn how to manage them. So when they do, they don't want to take the when, when you're accountable. Yeah, you you get the spoils. Right. But you also take the L's when you avoid accountability because they, the level of not taking the spoils of not being rewarded is so high now. Right. It's so comfortable. that Yeah, you can deal with being a being a regular ass dude. Right? You don't have to trust. So you don't have you never have to risk the downside, but you never go up. But but because your downside or the thing you don't get is so it's still so good, you think you can get it all. And there's no accountability for what you say, what you do. So um, it's all like the you know, soft times create soft people and hard times. Very, hard very people. much so, man. Like like people give that some people get at meme a lot of shit and 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 I have a per a slight criticism of it. I don't disagree with the meme entirely at all. Uh, I just I think that was made in a time of of not the level of technology we have. In other words, I, I don't think in the sense of like whenever they portray the hard times, it's like the greatest generation, you know, level hard times. And I don't think those are coming. You know, I just at least what's what's, what's Albert Einstein say? Uh, I don't know what weapons World War Three is going to be fought with, but World War Four we fought with sticks and stones kind of deal. Like if we ever if we ever get to that point. It's, it's going to be very bad. So I don't think the, the hard times per se are coming because even the hard times are comfortable. When people talk about, uh, I'm not I'm not super familiar with the political situation in Canada, but when people talk about any type of revolt or civil war down here or, or, or mass rejection of mandates or whatever, I'll, I always remind them that the thing you need for a revolution is extreme discomfort amongst the masses. You look at every revolution in history, successful or not, it started because people were doing shit like eating rotten food or watching or, or not being able or dying because of cold in the winter. It, it wasn't because we could sit and watch fucking Tiger King season one and two and we got cooked up in the house. No, because then there's sports. You saw it. We all saw it, right? Last, uh, what was it? It was the summer of 2020. We almost, we were this close because they, they, they took the sports and they took the Donnie. They took all the fun. And so people were like, there's nothing to do but get mad about shit. Mm-hmm. And they started getting mad about stuff. That's when you get a change. 
That's when they started pumping out the vaccines. Now they're like, oh, now we can force this on these people because now they want more freedom. So we'll give you back the sporting events. We'll give you the nightclubs. We'll give you the restaurants if you 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 put this in you. It's 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 nuts. That's how they coerce them all. Anyway, that's uh that's a topic that we don't talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's YouTube, a different. You know oh, that's right. Yeah, you gotta 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 deal with that. We gotta yeah, be that's... careful about certain things. We're gonna dance around. Um, you were talking about porn earlier, and I saw somewhere on your social feed that you've got a, a course on on quitting porn. I always find that's like fascinating as hell because because people ask me often, and I do these call in shows, and people call in and they'll ask about no fap and all this. It's like I don't get it, right? Because it's like I've always had access to porn. Like, even as a kid, like, I remember, I don't know, maybe, like, as young as 12 or 13 at a friend's house, it's like, you know, Billy's like, hey, check this out. I found this, like, magazine <laughs> called Playboy in my dad's bedroom sort of thing. He's got a stack of them, and you're like, oh, cool, let's go look at it. It's like, I just I just never, you know, got to a point where I was, like, you know, I was, like, addicted to it. Like, I had to look at it all the time, whether it was online or magazines or anything like that. It's like, you know, and the older you get, and, you know, if you're, you know, if you're good with game and, you, you know, you're intimate with women, you don't even think about porn, right? So I always find it fascinating when guys get like so obsessed with it and they have like no fat months and no this month and like why? You know, like why oh, do you man. why what do you let you, this own you? You gotta remember something, man. Look, and and first let me preface this with what I always say that you know you're you're responsible. It's all personal responsibility. At the end of the day, you make decisions. You live and die by the way. I am a wanderer. You'll, you'll never move me off that peg. What you've been able to do or what, what society's been able to do as I continue to learn things is, is build things around that peg, okay? So so why, the, why the, um, the, the the porn thing is such a big deal now compared to when you and I were, were, were kids? And then I know you're a little older than me or older than me. I don't know about how much, but... um. Let's just say a little older. It makes me look a little bit better. We'll <laughs> but... <with> uh. <laughs> We we didn't have what they have today, which is one the sheer amount, okay, and then the delivery system. Everyone has got one of these or this computer, and it's high speed, high def. It's ubiquitous and it's free. So and and, and it's discreet. So we we got we got no cost. We got easy administration system. We got variety. Variety is key, and I'll cover that next. And we have privacy of use. All right. Now that 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 third point, that uh variety. You familiar with the Coolidge effect? You ever heard of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. That's a big fucking deal because you know even even if you were explain king, the Coolidge effect to those that don't understand oh, it. Okay, so the Coolidge effect is this idea that in 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 the didn't um, that come from a uh, president? That came from President Coolidge. He was. He and there's was a story the, uh, with like the chickens and the wife. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. Still, he was like taking a tour of the farm, and and they were explaining how they 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 get the roosters to get to bang the hens, and it was like, oh, we just switch out a new hen, and the rooster goes crazy every time. He'll do that until he dies if you just keep giving them new. Right, and that's how that's how we're programmed. No, no, man, you got to tell the rest of the story because oh, there's a joke. Oh, in right. there too. oh boy, it is. A... <laughs> um, I, I, man, I got. Is have something to do with his wife? Where he breathes. The wife just... makes a condescending comment yeah. to Coolidge. You know, she's like, "Hey, you know, why can't you do that?" Right, and he's like, "Well, it's probably because you know the roosters get in variety." 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that that's what it is. All right. So so that's like a real, you know, think about it, man. Like what what, what do they say, man? That nothing likes me, no pussy, right? That's like the thing. It ain't, you know, it ain't even gotta be BQ, it's just, just new and different. And that variety is is a driving force. Take that idea, right? Now we pair it with the other idea, which your brain is really bad at telling the difference between reality and imagination. This is why scary movies scary, right? You know, ain't shit gonna happen to you. But, but it, you know, it feels like it because they've set the scene. And those don't even play on the same parts of the brain that, like, an arousing woman would or, or busting a nut would, man. So you put those two things together and you get, you have the illusion of variety. Like, like you have, um, there was an old, you remember the old crack.com website? They had a post about this. You're talking about crack magazine? Yeah, Cracked Magazine, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And they, they had a post about this that talked about how the the world of internet pornography is effective, is the closest example we have to what a post-scarcity economy looks like. Mm -hmm. And that there is no shortage. There is infinite variety. I mean, it's not really infinite variety, but like uh, the, the Pornhub put these stats out themselves in 2012. The, the comparison they made, this is how funny they think they are. This is the comparison they made. They said, if you started watching porn when the Civil War started, if you started watching the porn that we have on our site, you would not be finished at this moment in 2000, when they put the stats out, 2012. And if somehow that's all you did. Mm -hmm. So there's, and there's tons uploaded every day. There's just, you never get, you'll never get bored. It's, it's very easy, now that you have all those factors in play, it's very easy to fall into that. Mm -hmm. And and it's much easier and rewarding if you don't know better than a real woman will be. So if you get hooked on this stuff now at like 12, 13, maybe even earlier, you don't even know what it's like because you never take the risk. Because why would you? It's it's so, a really insidious setup they have. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like, don't. <laughs> you know, just like, don't like, do it, right? Like we're immune. Like, like you know, you ever see the Matrix? You know, and the ones. I don't know. Like, maybe I don't know. Maybe oh, I'm immune. Whatever. Maybe, but it's, it's, it's you've like, got a course on it, so go to Ed's website. <laughs> you know, he'll sell you a course on how to unplug. And, and I've actually got something better than better than selling a course. It's a free guide now. Just go check it out, man. And and hopefully, you know, you you, you get something out of it. If porn is is your poison. Cool, cool. Um, talk about video games because you played a lot of video games when you were, when you were younger. Do you still play video games? Like what? You're I don't, that man. Today? In fact, let me tell you something. When I when I first because I was living in Portugal for a little while when I first moved where I live now, uh, I went. I I was like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna buy me a PS4 for the Final Fantasy VII remake they made. Mm -hmm. So I was that was like the second that I bought my TV. Then I I went and got my my PS4. And I said, I think I do some work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna open this up later. Delayed gratification. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, like three months later, I was like, Yo, did I buy a PS4? Like I forgot I bought it, and it was so long I couldn't return it. So I, I sold it to somebody on Facebook. My point of that whole story was that I I loved video games. I loved the Final Fantasy series. Is is what what really made me want to really get into fiction and and read fiction because when you play these games it, it was largely text-based but at at 36 years old i i just couldn't imagine having the time how someone has the time like i'll never talk shit on the gaming community because 
I think games are a great outlet for a lot of people that are lost. But if you if that's all you're doing in your life is not progressing. Mm-hmm. And I think about like what I would have had to do, be doing to have, you know, three, four hours a day. Because that's what you really got to do now. You can't just it's not like the video games we were growing up. You know, you yeah, time you, you can beat the game in two hours. Nah, man, this shit is lazy. It's, and it's by design to keep you hooked, keep you in there. So you gotta put in two, three hours minimum per session. No, nah, I don't. I don't have that kind of time anymore, man. And I haven't for a long time. I remember the very last video game I seriously played. It was something called Persona. It was on PS2, mm-hmm. and I got it because when I was 22, I got pneumonia, and I needed something to do because I couldn't go anywhere, and I didn't even have the energy to stay awake and play it. My cousin ended up beating it before mm-hmm. I sold it. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, what about um stuff? with uh combat sports i want to ask you this i mean do you recommend to guys today and i mean i've got a chapter in my book about it and you know my stance for those of you that are you know confused is 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 get into combat sports i mean i wish that i had done it earlier in my life because it got to the point where it's like you know i realized shit man you know i'm strong like 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 i can bench three plates like i can do this with my legs like i'm like i'm strong and then i realized one day like what would happen if i had to fight and i'm like I don't really know how to fight. <laughs> I never had to fight. Like I never got into fights when I was younger because I was always like big and ripped and I'm a tall guy. So people don't like naturally just never really mess with me. And I thought to myself like, what would happen if I got in a fight? And I'd be like, I'd get fucked up. So, <laughs> you know, that's when I, I was like, you know what? I want to go do something different than throw around iron all the time. You know, like I still left, but sign up for Krav Maga. Then I switched over to boxing. I really like boxing now. So I've been doing that for like last year and a half. Um, it's it's a lot more interesting than I thought it would have been. And I moved over to it because I was asking the instructor one day, I'm like, what would you do if you got in a fight and it came down to needing to, you know, deal with your opponent? He's like, well, you have to know how to strike. So I said, well, what's the best thing to do? Then he says, boxing. I'm like, all right, so I'm going to start doing that then. So I want to get your opinion on this. Like, As far as combat sports goes, would you recommend to men today that, that, that that's something useful? Is it not useful? I mean, like you're a professional fighter, so I'm curious about what that means to you. Man, look, I think everybody should, I, th- I think it should be mandatory. Like you do amateur boxing in high school. The way they make you, instead of PE, you got to sign up for amateur boxing because the training for boxing uh, is you are now, no, just from a, from an, uh, we'll just call it a fitness standpoint, not even competitive. It's, it's, it's some pretty high level shit. It's, it's very high level stuff. Like the cardio conditioning's pretty intense. Like it's very you would, intense. Like you would, you would eliminate the obesity epidemic yeah. in, in under a decade if you made boxing mandatory. Okay. But, but to counter the practical argument that often comes up, and one I, I make to people all the time, I tell them, you don't, you don't want to learn boxing for the street. Because motherfuckers carry knives and guns or pick yeah. up bricks, right? That's not why you're learning it. You're learning it because you need to deal with legitimate discomfort. Because there is nothing comfortable about boxing. There's nothing comfortable about the, the, the punching, getting hit, the training. You got to learn how to deal with that and then still persevere in the face of something. And mm-hmm. this is something you can't get anywhere else. You can't get it in, in, in your video games. Uh, you can't get it even socially because even though there's some discomfort in being, being social, the other person can kind of like let you down easy, right? Mm-hmm. But when there's a competition and there's points on the line or there's a victory, 
And the only way to win, this is what boxing is why, why, why I talk about boxing and I elevate it above like grappling, is the only way out of a boxing match is pain, right? Ain't no, there's no tapping, there's no getting choked out. You either get get the shit beat out of you, and you hope you hit the other guy more, and and you get more points because that's how points are scored. Hitting the guy, or you knock him out, which is just hitting him hard enough to where he goes. But either way, the only way through a fight is to fight. All right, and by doing that, you learn. You learn about. Well, first you learn how to to work through pain. I think that's something no one can do, or very few people do today. You learn about staying focused when you're exhausted. That that your, your your what your body's telling you is not what you have to abide by. You know, if it, like like I know, I'm tired. Don't like there ain't never a spar or a fight where I ain't never been tired. Right? What's that got to do with the fight? This guy's still gonna knock me out. That's a very different mindset, and you carry that in everything you do. And fighting teaches that to you uh, viscerally. You don't, it's not a theory anymore. When I talk, I put out three recommendations for self-improvement a while back. I said, learn how to live on sales, on commission, learn another language to like be one level of proficiency and learn how to fight. Like take, like training a, a fight for, for in a fighting, a combat sport, not grappling, but a combat sport for a minimum of one year because you can't BS any of that. Either you can do it or you can't. You get real world stress back but fighting in particular is I, I wish more people did it but so few people fight i remember when i started fighting people were like what are you doing are you, aren't you worried about getting hurt and i'm like no like, like i rather it was weird I, I, I did i worry about getting hurt it, i just accepted that as the cost of doing business which is life part of life is going to get hurt i mean I, I think fighting is like overall the best analogy for living, yeah, I'm gonna get hurt. Like, what you worry about brain damage? Me and you are gonna die. The difference is when I'm on my deathbed, I'm gonna have cool stories for being a badass. And you, you're gonna, you know, be happy you got to retire. You're a coward. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I always hated that when guys would say, "Aren't you worried about brain damage or fighting?" Guys will message me and go, "I want to fight, but I'm worried about brain damage." Like, you know, huh. don't do go do something else because there's no guarantee, man. Guys, guys are guys have died fighting even even as recently as yeah. last year uh it was so if you're worried about getting hurt you got to go do something else but I, I can tell you this if you're worried about getting hurt life is going to be a lot less interesting for you yeah um here let me grab a couple of these super chats that, that are starting to pile up before i forget about them we got did you know maddie said stem cpa trades entrepreneurs way forward that's my preferred uh path obviously uh, would you want your girl to be an entrepreneur, Rich? Um, listen, you know, my uh, kid, um, you know, sees me as a guy that's never had a boss, uh, you know, as long as she's known me. And her mom, um, you know, is a professional, right? You know, she's a lawyer. So she gets exposure to both. So whatever she chooses to do when she's an adult, work, you know, let's, let's see where it goes. Uh, cheers, guys. Playing to win. Please talk crypto. Um, what are your thoughts on crypto since that came up? Oh, man. What are my thoughts on crypto? So, so I got tired of being ignorant. And when did you okay? So when did you stop being ignorant? Because for me that was around 2017. I stopped being ignorant about the, around what are we in 2021? So so probably this summer. I, you know. I, oh, okay. So you're pretty new then. I'm I'm super new, and I started learning. I didn't want to just learn about. Like, I wanted to learn like why this thing exists. What what the hell is decentralized finance? Yeah. yeah. What problem it, it solves? Kind of looking at all the ways it, it can be applied, and and I think. 
So we, we, we may or may not disagree, but here's what I think. I think that the security applications of decentralized finance, pretty much the whole concept of a blockchain, mm-hmm. uh, I think that is going to revolutionize the, the, the electronic world like no other. I, I, I just, I think that level of, of transparency. What was the like big aha moment for you where you're like, you know, I, I just can't ignore this anymore. This is like a frying pan to the forehead moment. Um, you, you know what, man? There's there's a there's a guy I follow. You might be familiar with him, or Chris Johnson. He's a, he's real big into stocks, and he started talking about crypto. And I got to meet up with him out in Las Vegas, and we were just chopping shit up. And he was talking about it. And I said, you know, this is a guy who who I've trusted and worked with. Let me at least learn. On top of that, I have I have whenever I have an opinion about something. I try to make sure that opinion is based in fact. Like we may not agree, but I would like to at least be able to argue and know how to be convinced. Like mm-hmm. you ever, you ever like argue with somebody just to, just dumb about the topic. Like you can't even convince. No, I don't them. argue with people like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just recognize this guy's dumb about the topic. I'm not even having the conversation. Well, well on, on the on the. <laughs> I know what you mean, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you you can't even convince them because they don't know enough to be to actually be wrong. Like yeah, yeah. They, they, they're just. Off. So I wanted to know at least enough to be wrong, mm-hmm. and and I think I think DeFi is is going to I don't now I don't know how because because the 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 challenge DeFi and crypto has and I see them mounting and fighting and fighting is is, is they have to deal with with big government and big government is going to make it very difficult if not prohibitively or prohibitively difficult. For them to take a, a real position in, mm-hmm. in our financial market to be taken seriously that's the, the other challenge uh and this is kind of speculative but because i'm in the tech i see this i am not convinced that crypto wallets are going to remain uncrackable and that will that will put it because quantum computing is is here the chinese have it mm-hmm. we have it uh and and right now, right, it's for you know kind of special uses and on the cloud for people, but but it won't be too long, probably in our lifetime, where someone's going to to crack a crypto wallet straight up, and yeah. and that will put a ding in one of the main selling points of of cryptocurrency. Yeah, but, but I think I, that they're going to probably pivot and adapt to that because they're going to know that 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 like the computing power is so powerful that they can crack. Um, you know, um, wallet IDs or keys or whatever. But I mean, like the thing you got to remember is if you're not connected to the blockchain, then they can't access it. So there's, That's so there's that. True. So there's one yeah, thing. Someone, you know, when I the here, second thing is, yeah. <laughs> and then the second thing is they're of course going to upgrade the security of, you know, the blockchain and your uh, wallets because if quantum, you know, computing is able to crack into them, then maybe then instead of having like yep. a, whatever it is, 26 keyword phrase, it's a 52 or 117 or something like that. And it just makes quantum, just quantum, you know, computing like obsolete from that perspective the other thing too with DeFi though is the government can't stop DeFi, right because it's 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 decentralized so the only way that they can stop it is if they turn off the internet basically if they if there's an emp strike and electricity is rendered you know null and void but because by by its structure because it's decentralized finance they can't control it. They can only control the on-ramps and the off-ramps. So, I mean, if you want to convert is, crypto oh, yeah, to fiat, that was a better point to, to then make, that's yeah. where they'll get you, yeah. They, they can't control, yeah, they, they can't control that. But the one of the alluring points, right, is is to circumvent kind of being on the grid. 
But uh, I think that they're going to find ways around that too. Like, like there's a lot so? of oh, dude, there's a lot of really smart guys in this space that are doing some incredible stuff. And it like, like it frustrates me to the end of the world whenever I do a collab with Charlie. Uh, you know, we're talking about stuff with crypto, and there's always guys in the comments that are like, "Oh, it's a Ponzi scheme. You're going to lose all your money." Blah, oh, blah. I don't. Like, I, no, no, I am. I am way past. That no, there's a lot of guys that still think it's a Ponzi scheme. There's a lot I, of dudes, man. You know, I, I no, I think it is. Uh, if, if for any other reason, then, then its value is dictated by what people pay, what people pay. Yeah. So you know, you you look at that, and and then once I understood that coins have functionality, that was probably like like understanding that idea. That made a big difference. And there, there's a guy. Um, oh man, I wish I could raise his name. It's like DeFi Key or something like that. That's I my favorite like, line. Have fun yeah. being poor. <laughs> he was uh, he was explaining to me um like how to look up the functionality of each coin. I was like, oh yeah. wow, this is really interesting. Okay, I see. Like 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 once I saw what it could be used for, I was like, okay, like I, I'm not, I'm definitely not. I might be a late bloomer, but once I I see an idea and then look at what people are doing commercially, I'm just like, okay, this is yeah. really cool. Good, good, good. All right, let's see what. Uh, well, dude, man, we got Mike Tyson in the chat. What's up? <laughs> uh, for, he wants Mike Tyson's looking for advice on how to increase punching power. So, Ed, give it to Mike. <laughs> okay, the, the easiest way to increase punching power uh, technique. If you you got to improve your technique and get someone to teach you technique, and that technique, this won't necessarily translate immediately but uh realize that a, a strong punch starts in your legs your feet and then that yeah. force is driven up and then oh man i should know this word that's like my uh translated there we go that 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 force is translated through your legs when you twist your core and everything is done in unison um when i'm teaching guys how to punch one of the things i make sure they understand is that there is no difference in terms of body mechanics and movements between a right cross, a right hook, or, or throwing a bowling ball, or swinging a bat, or throwing a dart, or throwing a football. That mechanics, are, those mechanics are the same. So it's really about unison. You got to get everything moving at the same time and have that force be driven up through your legs. That's what takes so long to be able to punch with great. I mean, even your, your heaviest punchers, your, your natural heavy-handed guys, I mean, maybe they had a good sense of how to do that, but it doesn't really, I mean, it takes a while for that to develop under duress. But for your average person, this is why, by the way, random uh, interjection, well, not really random. This is why I will never, I mean, unless I'm trying to save somebody's life, throw a punch, because I know, I at the very least, you're going down. Uh, and, and that's not like a, a brag or boast. I, I just know what I'm doing, and I understand that, that if I hit you in the chin, you the odds of you staying conscious are so low. I'm, I'm I'm 220 pounds or 230 pounds, man. Like and and not a bad 230 pounds. Like in shape and I'm not a punch. If I hit a regular person, they're going down. When you can hit somebody, you ain't even got to be that big. Like people get knocked out. Train fighters get knocked out at like 160 pound range. Mm -hmm. So 147, whatever. You can drop a guy by generating that power. So get your legs right and learn how to twist your core and get everything at the same time. And you'll probably need someone to coach you on, on punching technique that that's a hard thing to learn from the internet yeah you gotta like i 
I would recommend if you have the means to hire a coach and train one-on-one. -on -one. Don't do group classes. If you want to get the most out of your time in it, yeah, it's going to cost you more, but I've been doing one-on-ones for the last year and a bit and dude, it's a game changer. Like it's, it's just awesome. Um, let me just hit on the second half here. He says, for Mr. Cooper, how do I stay consistently evolving with all distractions in this world? I find myself constantly getting distracted. Um, you know what? It boils down to a few things. And I want to hear Ed's input on this too, because um, I know that you're super focused on the stuff that you do as well. But when it comes to distractions, it's like, you know, if you find, find yourself needing, like you have a task, you have a project, you have a business that you want to run something and you're not doing it, it just means that you don't want it bad enough to me, is all that that means. I mean, if you want something bad enough, then you're either gonna find a way to do it, or you're gonna find an excuse. Oh, I have ABC to do, but I just got my PS5 and I wanna level up my character. It's <laughs> like, okay, well, what's more important to you? You know, launching the business or leveling up your character and getting the new armor or sword or whatever the fuck it is you gotta get by playing a video game, right? Like, it's, it's that. There's other things that are, you know, um, useful as well. There's things like, nootropics, you know, which you can look up and get a little more familiar with it. And I'll be honest with you, uh, microdosing things like psilocybin, um, they can definitely help with productivity as well. But I want to hear from Matt as well, too. Yeah, I like I like all that. I agree with all of it. None of I mean, the, the only thing I would add, and I don't even think this is a is an addition, just a rephrasing is, is I'm assuming you're asking that because you're having trouble staying focused. Like, I'm, I'm gonna give you the benefit of the, the doubt and say you want it bad enough, you just don't, um, you're, you're not able to like put your mind there. And and so like, here's some training wheels, just get rid of a bunch of all the extra shit, just get rid of it. And if you have nothing to do but what you're trying to do, or you make it prohibitive, or you you, you make it, you know, prohibitively difficult. Uh, like I use this app Forest, where like I lose my tree if I go open another window or browser, if you got to work on the internet, little games like that. But what it still boils down to like, uh, do you want this bad enough? And eventually with enough little training to stop being distracted, you won't need that stuff. But if you don't want it bad enough, it won't matter. You know, and and, and really, I think if you do really want it, you'll, you'll stop the other stuff because it, it's, it, it, all it is are these, these cheap dopamine hits, man. It ain't, it ain't really, it doesn't last. It just feels good. It's how you get. It's how people get hooked on drugs. It feels good. Like like there comes a point where every crackhead was like, "Oh shit, I'm a crackhead." Well, <laughs> time to go smoke. And it's like, bro, you just admitted that's bad for you. Yeah, yeah. but I gotta smoke. Okay, I'm assume I'm assume you're like that guy. Just get rid of a bunch of shit for a week and try and focus, man. Like, mm -hmm. and and I, and I don't. I've I haven't gone down the microdosing route, but if you want a um, a supplement, meditation really really. Uh, has helped a lot and and don't even think about what you're trying to get out of it just trust the process go read about it later and all you got to do is like sit for like 10 minutes and try and keep your mind on your breath being able to do that will make it easier for you to keep your mind on everything else that's all you need to know yeah i mean the these devices are designed to distract you um, there's a book written by near al it's called hooked and he basically yep. breaks down how technology today is designed to keep your attention on that technology, whether it's a video game, whether it's social media, because I mean, you actually do get these like little dopamine hits every time you're checking notifications alike. Somebody commented on something, boom, boom, boom. I have all notifications off of my phone with the exception of text messages from select people and phone calls. That's it. Dude, that that's next level. I'm taking using that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, let me see what else we got here. We got uh, Lewis, just a little thanks. And Moff wants to know how black your coffee is today. If you guys don't know uh, Ed on social media, he's known for talking about how black his coffee is. <laughs> Where can they get just, the mug if they want? Just got this trademark. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. That's uh, that's that's coming along. Uh, Lucas, uh, me changing these things slowly, really working out. I have the books uh, each time. Listening to get more info. Um, I want to ask you about the manosphere because that's where I kind of like um, ah, ran the into you. Let's let's talk about the mano swamp. <laughs> oh, mano swamp. Because I mean, like you're really not manosphere sort of dude. But when I'm we... mad. I'm, look, I'm just happy you recognize that. What that's you... enough. That's enough for me. Hey, listen, that's, that's, that's where I'm trying to get, you know, like I, you know, I pulled out of the rule zero thing and I don't spend time in the mano swamp anymore. I have friends in there that I can count on like on one hand, maybe a few fingers sort of thing, you know, that I still uh, chop it up with, but I'm not a big fan of it. And I wanted to get your view and opinion on oh, what you man. think of like the mano sphere slash mano swamp today. Okay. What's the best way to, okay. So you know how people you know how people get bad habits because at one point that was like a good habit like it was mm -hmm. useful it was a coping mech all right but it becomes a bad i saw habit. it that way for the first little while too yeah 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 but, but it becomes a bad habit when you use it beyond the utility you're getting when the value when the cost starts to exceed the value you no longer need it mm -hmm. a lot of guys find this space or find that well find that this space um because they are not in a good spot. Like they always say, you um you don't really like no one goes, Oh man, my life is good. Time to take the red pill, right? Like that's not really how it works. <laughs> All right. When you do that, you know, then you go through your five stages. All this stuff I you know, I red pill changed my life. I, I will never say anything uh disparaging about the general concept. Here's the problem that it's run into. Uh, everybody, people have realized that it is it's it's a it's a place to make money, and and the story that my my coach used to tell me about one one of my you know Manuel Stewart is uh, Manuel Stewart he was the, he like trained Lennox Lewis and and Polyfield. I mean, he was a, he's a Hall of Fame trainer, right? Okay. Well, he died a few years ago, and 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 I had. My coach was telling me some guys were like, yeah, man. Guys was like, man, Manny never let us make any money, right? And and I was like, man, why are people hating on Manny Stewart, man, right? And my coach described to me best, and this is what I use to describe him as. He goes, imagine you're in a cage, and there's one big-ass piece of cheese, and all the rats are in the cage trying to get that one piece of cheese, mm -hmm. okay? And, and the cheese are the customers, the rats are everybody in the manosphere, okay? So they're fighting, clawing, killing each other, trying to get this piece of cheese, and there's, there's nowhere to go. It's just that cheese. And, they, it, and it's a zero-sum game. They got to get that cheese. Mm -hmm. That's the easy part to understand. Then I'm going to modify it now for you. Let's pretend that cage is invisible, and there's a bunch of other rats all outside the cage, and they're like, how do we get in? So they're out there fighting amongst themselves, to get that piece of cheese. And every now and then the door open as they kick out a carcass and another one will come in to join the free-for-all. Because of how the manosphere is based originally and, and what sells, because we pay attention to negativity, mm -hmm. that has come to dominate the conversation on two fronts. Uh, 
on the initial problem we're talking about, you know, the the, the women and intersexual dynamics, and then the inter um, personal beefs, right? So so it, it's really started to become this super negative space, man. And it's and it's really hard for me. What I do is this, right? Like I tell people about about a certain event. I'm never going to go out of my way to disparage said event or said runner of event. But if somebody asks me about said event and you know what I'm talking about, I'm going to keep it a buck with my on the whole deal. And wherever the chips may fall, they fall. Ain't no thing about that, right? Mm-hmm. Because I feel you know good about where I stand. I'm not worried about, you know, like I don't make money from doing anything with it. I think you've said this a few times. About about guys who who rely on that space for money that that changes a lot of how changes they approach. Them, yeah, see, because so, see, because I mean, you can only take somebody as far as you've come, and a lot of guys that end up in that space, you know, they they see an opportunity and they see um, they see havoc, they see pain, they see chaos. You know, like you said, you know, people don't come to the Mana Swamp because things are good in their life. You know, they come to it to try to fix problems. And um, the problem is a lot of the people that are, I found anyway that are offering solutions, um, they they were nobody, you know, before they figured out what women respond to and what, you know, certain yeah, things it, mean. It, it, it's, a, it's a weird thing because... It was so weird to me, man, because I was already like, I had done a lot, you know, with my life by that point. And I came in there, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, let's help, help a few people out sort of thing. And I was like, huh, this is weird. You know, you know, you before. know what you what you figure out, man. Like, how you get there matters as much as the destination. And and I don't, yeah, I don't care about how helpful you 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 your, some people find your content. If, if 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 it gets there a certain way, that's no good, man. Because at the end of the day, I, I've got to because because right now, like you said, I'm not. Um, no one will really look at my me and go, "That's a manosphere guy." In fact, I had some. I had a. I had a, a girl write me the other day uh, and say, "Man, your article about taking the lead in a relationship. You know, I'm an ardent feminist, but I really agree with this." And I just wanted to let you know. I was like, "Wow, man, I'm really in a different place <laughs> now." <laughs> but, but um, that's the, the the key is that I I'm I'm aware of like my actions and how many people look and if i whenever i i co-sign something whenever i'm I'm there talking i am by my presence there i'm saying okay this is this is uh everything about this i'm cool with or like 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 and i can stand by that and i don't want to and i know i'll I'll take that responsibility to the grave i'll I'll never back out anything i've ever stood by done and said but going forward i have to be like all right this is probably too negative for what I'm trying to do. This is missing the point. Duh, this is probably the, the the cost of helping this guy exceeds the value and the method you know for how you're doing it. So uh, enough about the negative. There are some mm. really good you know one one great thing about YouTube is that you you can only bullshit YouTube for so long because of the way it's set up and what people demand to see. It's parts mm-hmm. of your life and your story and all that, and and you know you, you let somebody talk long enough on any platform, they will out themselves. That's just how it goes. All right. So one of the cool things that there are a lot of really really solid guys coming up. Who I wouldn't necessarily call manosphere, but they are they are 
masculinity, kind of like what we were talking about. Like, like the first guys that come to mind immediately are familiar with, I don't know if you're familiar with, like the Roommates podcast. Mm-hmm. Those guys, very like, like positive, constructive work and, and what you can do. And, and it's a very, it's a cool way to see how you can do this and not be negative. Yeah, it's interesting mm-hmm. though, because I mean, like the the um, you know the roommates podcast, I thought was pretty good, and um, I mean, there's been some criticism that I've heard from the Manos. I'm calling them like purple pill, or they don't understand you know certain specifics and details, sort of thing. But you know, they do more good than they do bad for sure. Like I think not that they've only, got something not good only going that, on. you know, not only that, but like there's nuance, man. Like it, not everything is is exact. Your experience. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. your experience, and and I do think there there are enough. Uh, the the generalities are good, but when you start applying them in a specific case, where you remember why the generalities, because when you get the specifics, the specifics there are there are levels, there's nuance, there's different mm-hmm. applications. There are some things people follow, some things don't. I mean, it takes it, it, it just you know it's like we were saying early in the combo. When you go from being super nice, you go the other way. It's all <laughs> super hard. And, and it takes maturity, humility, and really a commitment to growing to get to a point where you use judgment instead of having just a, a knee-jerk reaction to either extreme. Correct. And listen, Ed, I want to be respectful of your time because we're coming up on like 90 minutes. And... Uh... You've you dropped a lot of nuggets of gold here on this um, you know show. You've you've always been one of those guys that I can look at and be like, Ed's legit. Like like he is he is authentic. What you see is what you get. I love your presence on social media. I like your hey, writing. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not doing that just you know to rub up to. Like I'm legitimately saying like check out Ed's stuff. Follow him him on social media. Um, Take a minute and just tell people, you know, where to find you and what it is that you do specifically and what it is that you can help them with. Yeah, man. So I feel sorry for anybody born after me with my name, man, because I got that shit everywhere. I'm Ed Lattimore on Instagram, Twitter. My uh, my Facebook is Ed Lattimore. Both my my, my page and my personal, and I, I take requests on all. Just just come hang out. Uh, and my YouTube channel is is Ed Lattimore. Yeah, man, that's coming. Somehow I don't even promote it, man. I gotta gotta. 1100 subscribers man so i gotta i gotta get on that and start making videos but yeah and, and come to my website which is right down there in the corner at lattimore.com and and pretty much my whole goal is to just take what i've learned the hard way and break it down so you guys can learn it the easy way i write about how to help you you know think better i got a bunch of articles on math and how to approach problems a lot of articles about training a lot of articles about right you're a big guy on uh, chess too right like you're oh huge on chess i mean i got we didn't a, get a chance to talk about that because that's like a wicked problem solving game too right yeah very very fun I man I, I i invest a lot of money into my coaching and uh, too as well so i, I spend time mm-hmm. improving because i just i enjoy the game and i think it's a great way to connect you don't need to speak the person's language so whenever i go to another country uh, i can sit down and play play a game with, with a local if they have have um, the board around and yeah man i i just i want to help I, i'm writing to make myself better and to organize my thoughts and mm. it just so happens that i've lived a life where other people get quite a lot out of it as well i got a lot of writings on sobriety forgiveness boxing chess well nothing on chess yet but math physics the things that are important to me you know and and i think people can get a lot out of them certainly the numbers on the site show that people get a lot out of it so 
Yeah, check yeah. it out. So get on his email list right there. Uh, you know, you get it off his website. Ed, thanks for joining me today. Guys, hit the like button and leave a comment below. Um, I've got uh, PD Mangan lined up next for another episode, and I already oh, nice. recorded last or earlier this week an episode with a guy that's sailing the Mediterranean. He's on a passage right now, so I had to do like a pre-recording, but that'll be uploaded in the next week or two. I try to like play one of these like once a week, so stick around. There's lots more cool shit coming on. Thanks, Ed. Awesome.